Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 70, Sleep Hacks. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. If your sleep just ain't hacking it, what should you do? In this episode... I'll explore the important difference between a one-off sleep hack and the sleep-promoting lifestyle habits discussed across the episodes of this podcast. In response to a listener question in episode 68, I suggested that the use of the word routine could also be thought of as a surrogate for lifestyle habits for identity. I think it's important to distinguish the activities more broadly, such as our thoughts and behaviors, that help to promote sleep from the tricks generally sold as a quick-fix scheme a quick hack to make you sleep. Part of the importance of this distinction is that at some point, every single one of us will have a bad night. That's just part of being human, something we discussed back in episode 20. A running theme, which I probably don't emphasize explicitly as much as I should, is the concept of acceptance. Acceptance is not relinquishing responsibility or control. It's not giving up. Acceptance is the absence of denying reality. The absence of fighting what has been and what is simply because you don't like it. Acceptance is the first step towards solving a problem, toward effective strategies for dilemmas. Without acceptance, we get stuck, angry or upset about the way things are or used to be, the it's not supposed to be this way kind of attitude. Too often, quick fix hacks and schemes try to skirt the problem in the first place, jumping you ahead directly back to where you think you ought to be. And in the process, ignore or dismiss the underlying factors that brought you to the undesirable in the first place. And without addressing these underlying factors, the causes or conditions that led to the underlying difficulty, it is likely they will come back to haunt you. And trying to suppress the undesirable tends to backfire. Of all the quacky things promulgated by Sigmund Freud, this is one area he got right. It takes mental energy and active processes of the brain to try to suppress a thought. The mind has to be extra vigilant in looking out for such a thought and then try to hide it. It's like the simple exercise. Whatever you do, just don't think about pink elephants. Think about anything else except pink elephants. Go ahead and try it. Can you do it? You may succeed for a while, but there's a program in your brain actively searching for pink elephants to make sure you haven't violated the rule against thinking about pink elephants. How's that going to turn out? There's even data demonstrating that when we try to suppress a thought actively, it is even more likely to show up in our dreams. And this is done experimentally, not with anything traumatic, but half of subjects asked not to think about a particular idea versus the other half exposed to the same idea without any instruction to suppress it. 
And guess which group is more likely to constantly be badgered by the idea, even in their dreams? This we-don't-talk-about-Bruno approach to life won't serve you very well. And this emotionally immature approach to life is on full display in my current home state of Tennessee, with Law HB 580, which outlaws any lesson in school which may make the student, quote, feel discomfort, guilt, or anguish. Outlying discomfort. What is the world coming to? If all adversity, pain, or discomfort is avoided, suppressed, shoved in some deep dark corner, how do you think someone will fare when life inevitably happens? As they say, suffering equals pain times resistance. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional, so titrate your resistance appropriately. Where is the opportunity then for post-traumatic growth? Hacks, by their nature, attempt to shortcut back to the pleasant, the comfortable, trying to skip past dealing with the issues that pulled you out of comfort in the first place. And maybe I'm more skeptical than most, but I'm always suspicious of someone trying to sell you something, especially self-proclaimed experts, masters, gurus. William Bernstein famously said, the reason that guru is such a popular word is because charlatan is too hard to spell. So rather than adding more complexity with silly hacks, which often have no better impact than the short-lived placebo, or even counterproductive or harmful. When it comes to improving sleep, the key is removing obstacles, not adding more of them. And there's no better way to remove obstacles to healthy sleep than by adopting the routine, the lifestyle, the habits that promote well-being in general. The good sleep is just another fortunate byproduct. Your brain, your body knows how to sleep, just like every other living creature. We just need to get out of the way, remove the obstacles. There is no big secret. There's no conspiracy about what leads to a life well-lived, a life of thriving, of, of happiness. Arthur Brooks talks about avoiding the unhappiness pursuits of money, power, pleasure, and fame, the things you think will bring you happiness, and instead focusing on faith, family, friendship, and success through work. Cal Newport calls this focusing on craft, community, constitution, and contemplation, the deep life. I'll throw my head into the shortlist game with sleep, service, social, spiritual, and successful struggle. Just kidding about the sleep part, though it does support the other elements of well-being. But well-being, happiness, eudaimonia, these are more readily brought about with a focus on serving others, on strengthening close relationships, on self-improvement, whether through faith, contemplation, or other pathways, on accomplishing something you set out to do, even if you just set out to try. And a key tool here is emotional maturity. That is, understanding the dichotomy of control. You control your thoughts and actions, and everything else, everything that ever was or is in the history of the universe, all that is not up to you. It is not the things that upset us, it is our response to things. But the underlying point is figuring out your personal values, who you are and what matters to you, and then aligning your behavior with those values. Anything that's not aligned with your values is an obstacle. Who are you? What is your legacy? James Clear says that every action you take is a vote for the kind of person you want to be. What do your last 10 internet searches say about you? Do you want to be remembered by how you've spent the most recent 10 minutes? By your last 10 hours? The last 10 days? Who are you and what are you doing? Routine implies intention, purpose, reason, design, calculation. How much of your life? How you spend the 24 hours in a day, how much is intentional and how much is reactive? How much is aligned with purpose and how much is frantic chasing of immediate desire, avoiding immediate aversions, chasing pleasure and running from pain? Is there a point 
What would you hope to gain from a quick scheme sleep hack? What is your why? Now, the shift toward healthy lifestyle is simple, but not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's downright paradoxical. In the cognitive and behavioral management of insomnia, there is a curious tension. On the one hand, we say things like, stop trying to sleep, like in episode 27. Or just relax, and don't be too wound up about your sleep. If you weren't aware, nothing gets someone more wound up quite like telling them to just relax. And yet on the other hand, we ask you to be consistent, if not meticulous, about tracking your sleep in a log or sleep diary as the basis for any adjustments as discussed in episode 64 or more broadly in episode 44. This tension from tracking your sleep and metacognitive awareness of your thoughts and emotions, from the tracking and obsession with sleep versus sleep-promoting action, sleep-permitting thoughts and behaviors. The key difference, and hopefully this is expressed effectively, the difference is in the relationship to the thoughts and actions. You heard Donna say back in episode 67 that she became consumed by her insomnia. She wasn't sleeping well and she wasn't waking well either and felt compelled to excuse her performance to everyone around her, which only reinforced the feedback of now everyone around her checking in on her specifically about her sleep, making it all but inevitable that her whole identity becomes wrapped up in this idea that I am an insomniac. That kind of living, that lifestyle, that identity will only reinforce her poor sleep. The way she was relating to thoughts about sleep was ruminative and thus unproductive, generally antagonistic and negative. And because these automatic thoughts become so prevalent, they're identifiers, which can easily shift into antagonistic and negative thoughts and beliefs about oneself. An obsession about everything that's wrong with my sleep and what's wrong with me that I'm not sleeping well. Relating to these thoughts and beliefs about sleep with absolute conviction rather than curiosity and possibility. Relating with shame and regret rather than compassion and equanimity. In the treatment of sleep difficulties, the emphasis of bedtime tracking and sleep logs or metacognition with thought records and brain dumps, the core relationship is more of acceptance than denial, of process more than outcomes, of values more than rigid expectations and specific results, of respect for your body's ingrained ability to sleep more than a sense of failure of your body's inability to sleep perfectly all the time. And furthermore, all the while with this hyper-focus on keeping up with sleep diaries, tracking what time to get into and out of bed and how long it took you to fall asleep and everything else, this whole process is all about removing obstacles to sleep. Spending too much time in bed is an obstacle to sleep. Doing too many wake-promoting activities in bed is an obstacle to sleep. Worry about your sleep is an obstacle to sleep. Trying to will yourself to sleep is an obstacle to sleep. Maladaptive coping strategies are obstacles to sleep. Having an external locus of control, having these dysfunctional thoughts about what you believe is inevitable and how helpless you are, these are obstacles to sleep. Having no rhyme or reason or sense of routine or structure in your life is an obstacle to sleep. Misattribution of everything wrong in your life to your sleep is an obstacle to sleep. Rigid and inflexible thinking, the always, the need tos, the musts, the nevers, the black and white, no room for nuance, rigid thinking, that's an obstacle to sleep. The we don't talk about Bruno's suppression of anything deemed unpleasant or uncomfortable is an obstacle to sleep. So this tension is there. Don't get obsessive about your not sleeping, and yet we ask you to get obsessive for a while about tracking your sleep habits and analyzing your own thoughts. But a lot of this comes back to this question of why. Why are you doing anything? Why are you doing this particular thing? Does your doing of this thing align with your goals, values, purpose, and sense of meaning? When it comes to obsessive rumination and self-identifying, not as a whole person, a complex human who sometimes has a bad night of sleep, 
but rather identifying as an insomniac, your sense of who you are being at least partially defined by your sleep, what is the why there? What is that accomplishing? I would venture it's not helping you accomplish anything productive. Rather, more likely, it's the opposite. Is that sense of identity helping you live the life you want to live? Most certainly not. When it comes to the strategies in treating sleep troubles, the right why will help get you through any how. So even though the how may sometimes seem paradoxical, like tracking your sleep timing with a sleep diary, or doing some metacognitive work with a brain dump or thought record, or the how seems intimidating, like exercising, or adjusting your diet, or just getting out of bed at the same time every morning, the why is to remove the obstacles that are getting in the way of you experiencing a decent night of sleep on a reliable basis. And the why of achieving a decent night of sleep on a reliable basis is so you can be best equipped mentally, cognitively, emotionally, physically, metabolically to give you the best chance to live the life you want to live, to achieve eudaimonia, the good life, to practice the art of happiness and joy and fulfillment, to thrive. Sleep should not be an end in and of itself by some hack, but rather, healthy sleep is a means, is just one domain of well being. With that broader why, the how of seemingly unpalatable suggestions like sleep restriction seems so much more doable. So to summarize, sleep hacks are hawked by hacks, charlatans, and snake oil salesmen. Resisting pain only breeds more suffering. The more effective approach is one of routine, habits, of a generally healthy lifestyle, healthy body, healthy mind. With acceptance and compassion, we see truly where we stand. With the dichotomy of control, we appreciate our power to change our response to our circumstance. By laying out our values, we see clearly what matters to us and what doesn't. With this roadmap as our guide, we can remove any obstacle not aligned with our values. And usually that includes some moderation of substances and screens, of good nutrition, of moving our bodies, of increasing our vulnerability in our close relationships in pro-social contribution from serving others or by our crafts. The morning routine examples in episode 52 are just one illustration of putting together some of that in the first hour or two of your day. I'm sure you can be even more creative in designing the rest of your life even more effectively, even better aligned with the things that bring you meaning and the healthy habits that just so happen to promote good sleep. If you haven't already, go check out wellrestedmd.com day, where you can get a special download, a totally free cheat sheet, in this day of the life of the well-rested download, you'll find examples and timing of several morning and evening routines, these evidence-based best practices for wakeful days and restful nights. So head over to wellrestedmd.com day to see these best practices in action. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all these episodes. Leave a review. Head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information, including the option to sign up for email updates. And don't forget to drop me a voicemail with your questions about sleep. Thanks for listening.